How are you? And it is so, so good to see you. Uh, I normally would not do announcements at this time, and that's not what this is. I want to... Uh, make a shout out. I want to, I want to pat a particular ministry on the back. We are trying something in our lobby. You probably do not recognize it or notice it. It's one of those kind of things, but we are trying to convey to the church or, or get the church in this habit of knowing when we have something to sign up for, there is one place for that. All right. So when you're going out the main doors right off to the right, that is going to be the key place to get information and to sign up. So we had Truett Seminary here last week. We have today, we have our women's ministry that is, um, have event in just a little under a month. And they're there. They've got some information there. I want you ladies to uh, stop by there, grab one of these cards, get some information on that and sign up for that. And I appreciate the women's ministry for sort of setting the bar, helping us to reset the way that we do things around here. I've also heard that uh, the speaker for this women's event is fairly attractive, is what I've heard. Uh, in fact, she is one of my very favorite preachers. And so um, you need to go by and go to the event. It's going to be very good. And my boys, I'm sorry. That's just I, that's the way I feel. All right, so let me ask you a question. What is your favorite story? What is your very favorite story? It could be a movie. It could be a book. It has to be a narrative, okay? So don't be like The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tesher. Okay, that's a great book, but it needs to be a narrative, all right? So what is your favorite book? And I want you, book, movie, something like that, I want you to share that with the person that is next to you. Tell them, what is your very favorite book or movie or narrative? If you're not sitting next to somebody, you can just tell the Holy Spirit. Or you can just scooch over to somebody. There you go. A lot of you said it out loud. You're like, I'm sitting next to somebody, but I'd rather talk to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Very good. All right. I I just wanted you to tell the name of it, not the whole story. (laughs) Y'all are still talking. You're like, well, there was this boy who got two coon dogs and um, it ends real sad, but it's a great story all in between. My favorite movie by far is A Few Good Men. It is the greatest movie of all time. The acting is superb. The storyline is phenomenal. It's a legal drama that sets place in the Navy, which, by, by the way, is the superior branch of military. Some of you are like, he was on thin ice with the longhorn thing, and now that? Don't care. Don't care. Where was that? Oh, yes. Here's the interesting thing about these books and these movies that we like. We know the ending. We already know the ending to these things. And that's what makes it part of your very favorite book or, or movie or story. In fact, we know the ending. And it's part, and somebody you'll tell somebody, this is my favorite movie. And I love the movie. Why? Because of the way it ends. We love movies and stories and, and books that end in a very good way. I'm not going to lie to you. Whenever it gets to the end, I try not to tear up. But when I hear Lance Corporal Harold W. Dawson say, Tin Hut, there's an officer on deck. Man, I start to tear up every time. I'm just sitting there in the living room by myself, just like, that is such a powerful movie. It's so powerful. One day I'm going to do a class on the theology of A Few Good Men. 
going to be fun just for a few great guys. All right. Just a couple of us. I'm glad some of y'all laughed at that. We're going to look at a story today. We're going to look at the beginning of the story of a guy named Abraham. And here's the deal about it. Here's what I want to challenge you to think about today is when we read the story of Abraham, when we see him and his grandsons and, and uh, how that story is going to go, we know the ending. You know the ending. I know the ending. And so we tend to read it in that lens. We know this is all going to work out. We know that God is going to keep his promises. We know that what is going to happen, he's going to lie twice, the same lie in Egypt. We know that he's going to do these sort of things. We know this. And so we tend to read all of it through the lens of the ending. And what we have to remind ourselves of, what I have to remind myself of, is that Abraham did not know the ending while it was happening. And some of you are like, well, of course. Of course he didn't. Right. But listen, there is power in realizing That Abraham did not know how it would turn out as he was walking through this. This is not pre-recorded. He lives this life. This is in real time. And so when we read this story, I want to encourage you in a way to live your life not knowing the ending the way that Abraham lived his life not knowing the ending. Let's pray together and then we will look at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. God, thank you for the worship we have experienced so far. Thank you for just the the spirit that is about our church right now. The excitement that it is to gather together as a group of flawed and broken and diverse Christians that come together, not because we're great, but because you are great. Because you are the great I am. Lord, as we move through these stories of our lives, as we, as we walk away and carry with us burdens and scars and pain as individuals and as a collective, God, I pray that you would make yourself known. That as these little steps of change that are happening within our church, you would make yourselves, yourself known. That as we remember sometimes at anniversaries, at at key moments throughout the, the life of our church, we remember pain and hurt loss, grief, that you would make yourself known. That there would be a a stone set that signifies a change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis 12. I'll read it. You follow along. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you do not have a Bible, there's some there in the seat back. I want you to take that. That is your gift today. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. This is what the Word of God says. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram, and 75, was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the side of Shechem, to the Okamora. Side note, at that time, the Canaanites were still in the land. Verse 7, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said... To your offspring, to your children, their children, that sort of thing. I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
And from there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord there. And he called on the name of the Lord. Let's take a couple uh, a look at a couple of elements here in the story. The first one is Abram. God calls him Abram, but we know him as Abraham. This is a pivotal point in the book of Genesis. The first 11 stories are what we call prehistory. They set the, uh, the groundwork. They move through hundreds of years very rapidly. And then all of the sudden in verse 12 or in chapter 12, the story slows down considerably and focuses in on Abram. God will later change his name to the one that we are more familiar with, which is Abraham. But this starts a new section, a new section in which we're going to look at the founding and the establishment of not only the Jewish people, but the nation of the Jews and the faith of the Jews, which will eventually lead to a Messiah and Christianity. Abram is who God is speaking to. And when he speaks to him, he says in verse one, a very simple command, go. I just have to point this out, right? God is always about forward, outward movement. He is never leaving people where they are. He is always sending people forward and outward. It is a bad thing. It is a not good characteristic. If you should ever find a Christian or a Christian church that you would describe as stuck, God is always about forward and outward movement. And God very clearly tells Abram here to go. It's a four-parter. He tells him to go and to leave his relatives, his dad's house, the place where he is, his land. And he would go to a land that he's telling him. In other words, it is very clear to Abram and to God and to Sarai and, and to Lot what they are leaving. It is unclear where they will go. Again, common characteristic of God. I want you to leave what you know and go to what you do not know. And I will go with you. Leave this for that. Which brings up the very next thing. Not only does God tell him to go in four parts, he tells him he will. He makes a promise to him in five parts. You can see this in verses two and three. God makes this five-fold promise which if you were to sum it up, was land, blessing, and children. One commentary, the CSB Study Bible says, God unilaterally promised Abram progeny, prominence, and protection. All right? Don't you love a good three-part outline with peace to start off with? And this is a big, good promise. The land is a home. It's generational wealth. It's something to provide for his family. The children are somebody to leave it to. And then the blessings mean that God will not only protect him, but that Abram will be prosperous. He will have a legacy worth living for. These are good promises. This is the dream home. This is Abram. This is what he wanted. This is what we all want. We want that place, that, that, that one acre lot, right? With the, with the ranch style, open, open floor plan, that sort of stuff. Which, by the way, my family's looking for a house. So if you're sitting on one of those right now, you want to sell that thing. Gosh, it's hard to buy a house around here, right? This is that dream. And God says, I will give that to you. I will give this to you. We have this dream. God very clearly tells him to go and I will. That's what God speaks to Abraham. That's what he says. But briefly, let's look at what Abraham does in response. What Abraham does in response. And spoiler alert, this is how you ought to respond to God as well. When God says, go and I will, 
Verse 4. So Abram what? Say it out loud. Went. Went. Isn't that a great... So Abraham got up and left. God said, let's go. Abraham said, let's go. He went. It's so simple. It's so powerful. No small step to leave what you know and to go where you do not yet know. But that is what he does. There's some details here about who he took and and all of that. But the bottom line is that when God sent Abraham, he went. Now, we've been spending the last couple of weeks going through the Bible. And uh, we've been in Genesis. We're just skipping across like a stone across water. And one of the things that we've already noticed is that people do not like to scatter. They don't like to go. And that's exactly what happens in the previous chapter. In chapter 11, God had told them to go. God had told them to scatter. And they would not scatter. And then you have this person, Abram, stand up there. And God says, hey, you, go. And he went. There's this beautiful change. There is this transition in which Abram trusts God. And he does what God tells him to do. So he Goes four times, it says that Abram, or in verse four, it says that Abram went, and I love that. Then, and it says this twice in the story, in this story, but four times in Abram's story. Verses seven and eight, it says that he built an altar. This is the one that takes a little bit more unpacking. God says, Go, and I will. Abram went, and he built an altar twice. He builds an altar. altar. This is an act of worship. He likely took a large stone and sacrificed an animal on it. Abraham is saying, Abraham is declaring something about the story that God has invited him into. God has invited Abraham to be a part of something great. Be a part of something glorious. Be a part of something you write in the history books. As we have here. God has invited Abraham to do that. And Abraham builds an altar. He takes a stone. And he makes an altar. He is declaring something. Yes. Physically in the stone. But also in his mind. In his heart. And in history. Abraham is doing something big here. When he makes an altar. The act has profound meaning. A physical act with spiritual and emotional meaning and implication. When he took that stone, there was something changing. I want to expand on this idea just for a second. This concept of taking stones and having them mean something about their story and about worship. Abraham does it, like I said, four times in his story. But he's not the only one to do this in the Bible. I have some stones here that Wayne got for me. And there's a couple of times that you can read in the Genesis account about the people of God doing something with stones. In Genesis chapter 28, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, it's not a good kid. He grew up rough, okay? He is running from God. He's running from his dad. He's running from mistakes that he has made. He's running from pain. He probably feels like he's largely in the right, but he's also very mad at his brother. His family is divided. There's a division there. They haven't spoken to one another in a while. And his brother has said to his dad, I'm going to kill him. Can anybody relate to this at all, right? We just went through the holidays. Did it feel like that at all? And God meets him there in that running. God meets him there in that pursuit And he reveals to him this this vision. He speaks to him. Side note, let me just say this. No matter how far, listen to me, no matter how far you have run from God, he is as close as turning around. 
It doesn't matter how far you ran from God. He is as close as turning around. A lot of people will come into church and they'll say, God's too far from me. God doesn't love me. The church won't accept me, that sort of stuff. And I am telling you, that is a lie from Satan. So Jacob wakes up and he takes a stone and it says that he stood it up and he, he worshiped God. He took the stone and, and he worshiped God. We already saw what, what Abraham had done in that altar there. In Joshua chapter four, much later, long after Abram's dead, long after Jacob is dead, Joshua is the leader. Isn't that a powerful name? It's just such a great name, Joshua. He takes, <laughs> just the kind of name you just want to say, it's like Mufasa. You just want to say it real slow and again. He takes that, he takes the children of Israel and they cross the people of Israel, the Israelis. He takes them and he crosses the river there in the Jordan River. And when he gets to the other side, he tells the people, you go get stones, go get stones and, and pile them up out there. Go out there and drop them out there. And listen to this. And I love what he says here because this is really powerful. This is what Joshua tells the people. He says, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should look at your children. And you should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. What Joshua was doing was a physical act with emotional and mental and spiritual meaning. He was laying stones down to say, there was a before these stones and there is an after these stones. So later on, you tell your, your children, you tell your grandchildren, you tell your offspring, you tell those who ask, God brought us through that river. We were scared. We were hurting. We were alone. We had a lot of work still to do. A lot of enemies to slay. A lot of mountains to climb. But God brought us through that river. You know how I know? Because there's a stack of stones over there. That's what Abraham is doing. That is what Jacob is doing. That is what Joshua is doing. And I love that story. I love the meaning of it. Notice that with Abram, Jacob, and Josh, the stones had meaning. They had a meaning. Let me tell you this. They did not mean that they knew everything that was about to happen. When Abraham made that altar, when Jacob stood that stone up, when Joshua stacked those stones, they did not know what was about to happen. They had no idea. They didn't know. All the enemies that waited. They didn't know all the challenges, the the scared times, the tears that would fall. They didn't know. They did not know that. They also did not say by these stones, everything's fixed now. Everything's perfect. Everything's right. By dropping those stones, by making that pile of stones, they're not saying it's all fixed now. Listen, Abraham still didn't have a son. He was 70 something years old and still didn't have a child. The moment he walked away from those stones, the moment that Jacob walked across from there, he still messed up. He still was on the run. When Joshua walked away from that river, they still had a lot to do. They weren't saying it's all fixed now. It wasn't like they got the new keys to the house. They still had work to do. They weren't saying that they knew everything. They weren't saying that everything was fixed. They also weren't saying, and this is key. This is key to some of you. They weren't saying that they had not been hurt. They're making a pile of stones, but they still have scars because time heals, but not all the way, right? They still had pain. Abram was still mourning the loss of his father and the land that he knew and loved. Jacob's brother still wanted to kill him. Joshua was still leading a bunch of stiff-necked, hard-hearted, stubborn, I mean, Israelites. (laughs) 
He was still doing that. Nothing was fixed. It wasn't right. So then why drop a stone? Why put a stone down? Because what they were saying was this. God's got this. I might still be hurt. There might be more work to do. It didn't fix everything. And I'm not sure how it's all going to turn out. But God said five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So when they built those stones, when they dropped those stones, it wasn't, we got this. It wasn't, we did it right. It wasn't, I'm not hurt. It was, God will get us through. God is going to do something powerful past this point. And we know the story and he does. That's exactly what he's doing. They didn't know how the story would turn out. They didn't, they hadn't seen the movie. They were only halfway through the book, but they knew God. They knew he had brought them through all of that past pain and all of that struggle and all of that hurt with a purpose. Surely there was some purpose in this. They knew that he was real and good and kind and that he said, go. So they went. What they were saying, what the stones did mean is that there was a before these stones and then there was a what? After these stones. What was before made them, but it did not define them. What was before created who they are, but it does not limit their potential. It does not hold them back. It does not bridle them. I asked you before, what is your favorite story? And you shared that with the people next to you. But you want to know what one of my other very favorite stories is? And probably even more so than A Few Good Men. One of my very favorite stories is your story. Yours. And I don't know how it's going to go. And I don't know how it's going to end. And I don't even know the full depth of all the pain and the hurt that brought you to this point. I don't know that, but I do know that God's got it. I love our story. I love the story of First Baptist Church, Louisville. I love this nearly ancient 150-year-old story and all the challenges and the pain and the move and the cross of the, the cross of the highway, which surely felt like the crossing of a river, right? And I know that there have been literal times, hear me? There have been literal times when the wind blew and the waters rose. Am I right? <laughs> and God has got this. Do you hear me? God has got this. We are living this. The movie's still going. The book is still being written. But I don't know how to fix all of that. I don't know how to make all that right. I know that there's still pain. I know that there's still scars. I know that all that's happening. But I do know there is a before these stones. And then there's an after these stones. And God has got this. Do you agree with that? God has got this. So today I'm going to ask you to do something. Here in a moment, I'm going to ask you to go out into the lobby. And just like Abraham and Jacob and Joshua and others, I'm going to invite you to take a stone. There's tables set up in the lobby and there are Sharpies out there. You go out there and we're going to ask you to take up one of those stones and then write your family initial on it. So like for me, it would be a K. Write your family initial. If, you're, if, you're, if you come as an individual, you write your last initial on it. If you're a group of friends, maybe roommates here, write each of your Last names there. 
You write that on there. And in a moment, we're going to ask you to go out, take those stones. When we dismiss, not yet, but take those stones, write your name. They're all throughout the lobby. If you're in the balcony, there's some when you come right down the steps. And then go out to the prayer garden. We've designated a spot over there. We've designated a place so that you can drop that stone. You can go in the two sides there. You can write your name there and you can drop that stone. You can declare that there is a before these stones and there is an after these stones. I've only been here a month, but I am fully aware that there is a lot that happened before. And I'm not cheapening that, but what I'm saying is that made you, but it does not limit you. That may have helped to create us, but it does not change our potential. You go out there and you pile those stones out. You spread them out in that section. You drop those stones. And one day, hear me, one day, my children's children will ask, what are those stones? And we will say, God brought us through. That there was a before these stones and there was an after these stones. And praise God for after these stones. We'll do that in just a minute. But first of all, I want to point out to you something even more important. This story here in the Bible is the goat of faith stories in the Bible. I'm not trying to sound hip. I just didn't know another way to say it. This is the greatest of all time faith stories. The Bible repeatedly, I'm, I'm not joking. The Bible repeatedly in Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, and James mentions this story. It talks about this story and it is always the greatest of all time. The first ballot hall of fame story about faith. When Hebrews and Galatians talks about it, they talk about that day when God said go and Abraham went. James is going to go as far as adding and he was a friend of God. That when God said go, Abraham went and that made him a friend of God. Let me tell you this. God walks with his friends. God walks through the valleys and through the dark, through the victories and through the happiness. God walks with his friends. That's very true. But hear me on this. And people don't like when you say this, but this is true. Not everyone is the friend of God. When you reject God, when you shake your fist, when you turn your back, you are not the friend of God. But today you have an invitation from God. And he's saying, come. Go. Step out from where you are. Follow me. Step out from what you know. And I will show you. Step out from what you fear and the pain and the scars. I'll walk with you. That's the invitation for you. Because listen to me, as Christians, as believers, as Jesus followers, we have a before the stone and we have an after the stone. We have a before the stone that the builders rejected. And then we have an after the stone. We have a before the stone that covered the grave. And then we have an after that stone was moved and Jesus came up out of that grave. We have a before the stone that we build our lives upon. And no matter how strong the winds are and no matter how high the flood waters rise, we will stand solid because we have built our lives on the rock. We have a before the stone. We have an after stone. And I am telling you, if you have not yet trusted Jesus as your savior, if you have not yet accepted him as your Lord, then you do that right now. You do that today. Just as Abraham built that altar, I want to invite you to come to the altar. The father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. 
Bring your sorrow and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Come to the altar. So here, in these next few moments, you have three options. I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment. Not yet. But when you stand, you stand there and you pray. You pray with your family. You pray with your friends. You pray by yourself. And you pray about that stone that you're about to drop. You pray about what was before and what is after. And I am encouraging to leave that stuff on that side of the river. You drop that stone. Secondly, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you walk that aisle today, there'll be some of us that are standing here, and we would love to share that with you. We'll tell you about how we are broken ourselves. Ain't none of us perfect. None of us earned this. All of us accepted the free gift of Jesus. You have that option. And then if you want to ask any other questions or maybe want to join the church or something like that, you have that option as well. Let me pray. When I'm done praying, you stand with me. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for this beautiful story of Abraham and Jacob and Joshua. God, may we never, may we never get um, confused by the idea that Abraham or Jacob or any of them were perfect. But instead, may we be constantly reminded that you are our hero And that today we have this opportunity to trust you. So God, I pray for those who haven't trusted you as their savior yet. I pray that they would. Pray that they would respond in faith. I pray for these who have been a part of First Baptist Church, Louisville for so long. Literal blood, literal sweat, literal tears. I pray today is a healing moment for them in which they drop that stone in the prayer garden and they, in their heart and in their mind and in their soul, they say there was a before these stones and now there's an after. And so God, we just constantly remind ourselves that you're the one that said, I will, I will, I will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. Y'all stand with us. Pray as a family. Pray as an individual. Come and trust Jesus. It's your call. You respond as the music plays.